Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of John. We're studying the Gospel of John, and we've come to, to verse 12. And we'll be looking at verses 12 through the, the end of, of the chapter. Let's read the text before us this morning. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep of the oxen with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables and he said to those who sold doves take these away do not make my father's house a house of merchandise and then his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house has eaten me up so the Jews answered and said to him what sign do you show us to do you show to us since you do these things Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs which, and when they, when they saw the signs in which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. It's an incredible section of scriptures before us this morning. Um, we we live in in, in a time probably much like most of church history in which people try to focus on certain aspects of who Christ is. Um, they, they want to see him as simply just a God of love and a God who is very tolerant of all things and a God who basically will let them do whatever they want to do and everything is just fine. We live in a time in which it's, it's not proper to point out problems that exist within the church. You're not supposed to say that from pulpits as far as here are problems that we find within Christianity or even so-called Christianity. And yet what we find here is Jesus... Coming to Jerusalem, he's coming for the time of Passover. There, there would have been thousands upon thousands of animals, lambs that are being brought to, to the temple. They're going to go to the temple to make sacrifices. But Jesus is coming up upon the, the temple into Jerusalem. And he finds in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. The animals had to be 
approved of as far as making sure that they were without spot or blemish. They had to be certified. And rather than have people, all the people bring in their animals, some would just come and they would have one right there ready to purchase. Not only that, but you had to purchase it, not with the, the Roman coins, but it had to be one in, in which there was no image of, of Caesar on it. And so you would come and bring your foreign currency, and you would come and you would, you would bring it and change the, the money so that you could make it um, to where you pay your, your, your tithe. Your, the temple treasury had an annual tax, and they had to pay that of half a shekel. But it only could be paid in the sacred currency. And so you have these money changers that are there. And not only are they changing money, but they are collecting um, incredible fees in changing those funds. It's recorded in one place that it was, uh, they were making sometimes over 12% on the money that they collected and changed. So you, you, you find here within the temple money changers that are making incredible amounts of money and people selling all these animals and Jesus looks upon this and says take these things away do not make my father's house a house of merchandise he, he not only does that but he, he makes a whip takes the whip and starts driving out the animals you could picture this. This has taken place for years, and they're, they're there, and they have all of their tables set up. There's acres upon acres in which they would have all of these animals. And they're there, and they're doing business, and they have all of their money there on the table. And Jesus just starts driving out the sheep, driving out the oxen, tells them, take the doves away, takes the tables with all the money on it, and just starts flipping the tables over, turning them over, and saying, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. Disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Christ cared. He cared about what was taking place in his father's house. He looks upon what, what is occurring and he just says, you've, you've made this a house of merchandise. This is a den of thieves. You guys that are here are so corrupt in all that you're doing. Those that were the high priests, those that were there approving of these things, making incredible amounts of money from the animals that are sold or from the money changers, selling franchises to do these things and huge amounts of money being made. And Jesus looks at it and just sees that they're not, they're not concerned about God. They're not doing this out of incredible love for God. They're not doing this because they love the people and desire to minister to the people. They're doing this because they love money. They just love money. And I look at this and, and I think it's important for us to look at this on a couple of different levels today. One in which we look at some extremes that take place in the church today. For some, it's not extreme. For some, it's just the norm. You look at church history and you see what's taking place. Um, during the Reformation, there was a, a monk by the name of Johann Tetzel who 
who would say, he, re, he had a catchy little phrase, as, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Meaning, you have family members in purgatory. As soon as that coin gets placed into the, into the coffer, into the offering box, as soon as that coin comes in, there's a soul from purgatory that is let go. And as a result, it, it became a huge moneymaker. I mean, just a huge moneymaker. If you knew that you had a family member that was in purgatory and the only way that they could be set free or the quick way for them to be set free was for you to give money to the church, um, there's a lot of guilt in not doing that. But you find today similar things taking place. You, you find today within the church, oftentimes churches become in marketplaces. Churches become in such that, that what takes place is all about bringing in money. How do we bring in money? Back in 1987, on, on January 4th, there's a man by the name of Oral Roberts. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts had big television programs and radio broadcasts. He, he told his followers that if he didn't raise a total of $8 million by March, that God was going to take his life. $8 million by March. And there was later a, a mailer that went out that they had $1.5 million left to raise and it had to be raised by March 31st or he was going to die. And I... I look at that and I just think, okay, so you, you've been told by God that you need to raise $8 million by March. And if you don't, God's going to kill you. So you, you say this to your congregation. His son's pleading, don't let him die. Please don't let him die. I would have not given just to see what happened. <laughs> I would just want to see this. Is it really going to happen? You look and... and You see the way that, that they talk. Um, or Robert said that God had called him to find an effective treatment for cancer. He told everybody that God told him, I would not have had you um, and your partners build a 20-story research tower unless I was going to give you a plan that will attack cancer. God told him that, supposedly. And so, Robert said that, that Jesus instructed him to tell his partners that this is not Oral Roberts taking or asking for the money, but the Lord. And so they completed this project for a 20-story research building. The project was completed. But since then, it's been shut down and sold to a group of investors for commercial development. And yet, no cure for cancer was found there. And so you see where people are saying this is going to happen. God has told me this. God's told me $8 million. God's told me 20-story building. God's told me to do these things. It's not me. It's God. God's going to do this. He's going to kill me, whatever it is. Or Robert said, someone will be watching this ministry on the air who promised a large sum of money to God. You'll act like you've given it, 
but you do not pay it. You're so close to lying to the Holy Ghost that within days you will be dead unless you pay the price God said. And somebody here is getting the message and you're on the edge of lying to the Holy Spirit. Don't lie to the Holy Ghost. The prophet has spoken. And I look at things like this and I just think, it's not simply put a coin in the coffer, but give or I'm going to die or give or you're going to die. The weight that is placed upon it is such that it's just incredibly wicked to go through and, and, to, and to say God told me this when God, in fact, did not tell them that. You find that I think that the Lord would overturn some tables there. You look and, and you see within that health, wealth, prosperity movement that there's this theory, I don't even want to say a theology, but there's this, this, this practice that takes place that whatever you give, you'll give back a hundredfold. And so, Gloria Copeland wrote a book, God's Will is Prosperity. She says, give $10 and receive 1000 Give 1000 and receive 100000 I know that you can multiply it, but I want you to see in black and white how tremendous the hundredfold return is. She says, give one house and receive 100 houses or one house worth 100 times as much. Give one airplane and receive 100 times the value of the airplane. Give one car and return, and, and the return would furnish you a lifetime of cars. In short, Mark 10.30 is a very good deal, she says. Paul Crouch says, if you're broke, and if you're at your wit's end, and you're out of a job, out of work, let me tell you, not only are we going to bless the world and preach Christ to millions and multitudes around the world, but you can be saved yourself by planting seed in this fertile soil called TBN. And the idea is you plant seeds. It's seed faith that comes in. And so you're to plant seed faith. And that seed is giving to their ministries. Give, and you're going to get way more money in return. Give, and your cancer is going to go away. Give, and we'll send you a special cloth. And when that special cloth, when you touch it, it's going to be like you're touching us. And when, when, when you touch it, you'll know that we have the cloth too and we're touching it and it's like we're touching you and we're praying and the faith that we have is going to make it so that you're healed. But give and give and give. We look and... The stories go on and on. There's a man by the name of John Evanzini who talks about how sometimes the things don't work. And he says, the problem is something is wrong with the saint. Without fail, I find something wrong in their lives. So he gives 25 things that will close the windows of heaven to people. He explains that we each have two minds, a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. The subconscious mind has been conditioned by pastors and teachers to believe that Jesus was poor. Therefore, when the conscious mind is introduced to the prosperity gospel, it is rejected because we believe subconsciously that we ought to be poor. And it goes on. 
tells us that he has the ticket to reprogram your mind for a price. He'll sell you his videotape called Jesus Was, was Jesus Poor? Um, it's this whole movement that you're supposed to be rich. You're supposed to be rich. And the way to get rich is to give. To give everything that you have. Um, so if one of these people, Juanita Bynum, who has a huge ministry, saying, you watching me in television land and you saying all I got is $900. But I hear the Lord saying, I double dare people that are watching me right now. This one is for you. I double dare you to empty your checking account. If you got $79.36, empty it out. Empty it out at the voice of the prophet. If you got $736.19, if you're in the audience right now, you all looking at me like I'm crazy, like I done went off. Uh, I'm not reading this wrong. This is what it says. Oh, Jesus, if you got $79.36, I double dare you to write your last check and declare your bank account empty because God said something happens when you give him your last. He multiplies when you have given him your last. She says, there's a Caucasian woman. And God's saying that he wants you to sow a $100,000 seed. The net return for the Caucasian woman will be the restoration of a torn up family and peace of mind. She, she really narrowed it down in that audience. There is a Caucasian woman with $100,000. Give it. And you go through and you look at these things. And for us, you might find it to be just absurd. But there's just incredible amounts of money that come towards this. Benny Hinn says, every time you hold back your seed, my friend, heaven will charge you 20% whether you like it or not. In fact, if you don't give it, God will take it away from you through tragedy. Don't you ever forget that. Yes, that's the word. If you don't give to God, he'll take it from you whether you like it or not through troubles. And I look at this and I, I see huge, huge amounts of money coming in to these particular ministries so-called ministries. I see people who they'll give all that they have to help a family member be free from cancer. They're told, give, give. If you give, you give your seed faith. Give your seed money. Give. And if you give, you'll be healed. And if you don't get healed, it's because you didn't give enough of what you had. You didn't have enough faith to do it. And you see people die of cancer over and over again, and they're just broken. They're, the people that are around them that have given so much are just broken. We didn't do enough. We should have given more. We could have given more. And as a result, just huge amounts of money come in. Billions of dollars a year come in. I've talked to people that are a part of these ministries. And one circumstance, I said, these, they're charlatans. They, they're stealing. They're stealing. They're stealing from people who are sick, and they have sick loved ones, and they're just stealing from them. They're, they're doing this. I remember one guy saying, I, I'm so afraid for you, for you to talk about God's anointed like that. And I said, I'm not afraid I'd be afraid for them to be in a place of 
of taking and doing this like that in such a way that they've made the house of God into a house of merchandise, a den of thieves. It's incredibly wicked. It's incredibly wrong. You look at Job and Job says, though you slay me, yet I'll bless you. My hope's in you. You you could take everything away. I'll say, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had everything taken away. Not only his finances, but his, his, his family, his kids, his health. You, you look at these people who say, God has made it so that there's, there's no chance of us getting sick in our household. And yet... They're lying. Their wives have gone through chemotherapy. They're, they're, they're thanking the doctors for the help that they got. They're having heart issues and heart attacks, and yet nobody will know that. I, I have this vivid picture in my mind of being in Vietnam, and when I go to Vietnam or China or any of these places, you'll always hear, what do you think of, what, what do you think of Benny Hinn? What do you think of Kenneth Copeland? What do you think of, and they'll just start listing all the guys that are on TBN. And I, I could be in the most remote part of China, and I hear this. And I just think, how do, you, how do you hear about this? Like, how did this make it here? And they'll say things. Like, I, I remember this guy saying, can you pray? Because there's a pastor, and, and he believes in all these things, and he, he's with us. And he, his child has, has cancer. His child has cancer, and we all prayed for the child and, 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 and that the child would be healed and the, the, everybody celebrated because the child was healed. But it turned out that the child wasn't healed and months later the cancer was back stronger than ever. And the, the, the child had been not allowed to leave the home for months and months and months, even over years, to where the family was so ashamed they did not want the child to leave the home because in their minds we didn't have enough faith to heal our child. Therefore, don't let anybody see the child. And this is people that I'm talking to in Vietnam. And I'm listening to this thinking it's just incredibly wicked. Here this child is, needs help, probably can, needs to go to the hospital, needs to be cared for. But instead they're isolated to their home because some of the perverse teaching that's taken place as far as the faith healers and all that takes place with that and giving money to these particular people. And I look at that and I think that the Lord would come upon that and see that it's not a love for God that drives them to do these things. And it is not a love for the people. It is a love of money. Incredible love of money. But also for us as a church. When you read a passage like this, you look and you see Jesus takes this cord this, this, this whip of cords, and he drives them out. Why? Because they've made his house, the temple, a house of merchandise, and it's just get this out, get these things out of here. This is to be a house of prayer. This is my father's house. This isn't to be a den of thieves. This isn't to be a marketplace. It's not supposed to be like that. We take that to our church, and when I hear Christ do these things here, I think, he desires for there to be reverence for God in the church. Likewise for us, we have the name Reverence Bible Church. There's a reason why that name was picked, 
reverence Bible church. Largely so that we would look and be thought, think frequently, we need to be in a place of just having reverence and awe for God where we see him as all powerful and holy and perfect and, and we worship him in, in spirit and in truth and all that is within us and, and that that would be a part of us, that would mark us, just reverence for God. I think that it's possible for us to have a name like that and yet not act like that. It's possible for us to look at what's taking place with the health, wealth, prosperity movement and just look and say, well, I thank God that we're not like that. We don't do any of those kind of things. And yet, we need to constantly be on guard as a church and just looking and saying, what are things that he would want to drive out of our church? What, what are ways in which we're looking too much like the world? What, what are ways in which we've become like a marketplace? What tables would he overturn here? And as elders, we think about this frequently. You'll find that there's most of what we do is, is we, as we think we, we never want to charge for things. We do the Hallelujah Harvest Festival and and. Every year it's free. People come in. They, there's a petting zoo. There's, there's all these fun booths for the kids to play in. And it's an outreach to the community. And there's food. And people come up and they're looking. And we'll say, do you want a tri-tip sandwich? And they'll say, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. No, thanks. Well, how much is it? It's free. Well, yeah, give me two of them. This is incredible. Like, and, and in their minds, they're, they're just ready for like, Charge us, charge us. How much is it going to cost? You're going to, you're going to thrash us here, aren't you? And to be able to have them come and just be like, no, we just want to bless the community. We just want to bless the community. Be a blessing to our church. We just want to serve people. But we try our hardest on everything. Like, no, just let's just use us to bless the congregation. Um, we don't want people to to come and to, and to find this to be a house of merchandise. We're careful with that. I think of a, of a time where someone came to the church early in the church and just said, like, they, well, they began by just saying, like, hey, I'm just coming. I'm, you know, just so you know, our, our tithe is going to be $750 a month, every month. That's what we're good for. Then I was, praise God, you know, that's great. And, and <laughs> thanks for sharing. And, and, and it continued. They were here for some time, but they ended up leaving. And when asking why, I said, well, why, why are you leaving? Their response was, we just feel like you guys pray too much. And it's just too long in the Bible but there's a lot of prayers. I mean, you pray, you pray when you start, and you pray, and they just started listening all the times that we pray. And it's just, we can't handle it anymore. We're out of here. And it didn't move us. We're not going to look and say, like, oh, man, we should, people hate prayer. We should just pray as little as possible, like, no one wants a Bible study. Let's just 
get them out fast. They can do their thing. We'll get them out fast, you know. I just look, we, we want to be intentional in being here because we're here to pray. We're here to study God's word. We're here to worship. We're here to minister to one another. We're here to do that. We're here to approach God in such a way in which there's, there's reverence before him. And I'm totally okay of being accused of praying too much. Studying God's word and being too serious about it. This is his house. We're dependent upon him. We pray. We pray for the service because apart from prayer and God working, we can't do anything. People come. People come into the church and I don't know them. I don't know maybe what they're struggling with or what they're dealing with or what's going on at home. I don't know all the the burdens that they're carrying right now. I have no idea of what's around the corner for them. God knows. And so we pray, God, please just work in people's hearts. Like We pray, God, when, when people come to church, just work in their hearts, open them up, soften their hearts to hear the gospel, speak through us so that when we go to God's word and we teach it, make it so that that they have ears to hear and they can hear and they grow and their view of you becomes so much greater than before they came in. We want you to just worship him in spirit and in truth and all that is within you. I, I desire so much for there to just be just a passion for Christ and a love for him that you would treasure him above all things. I desire for you to be here and to worship in spirit and in truth and all that is within you. I desire for you to come and pray and when you pray, you're just praying because you're so dependent upon him and you need him. I want it to be where when you give, you give joyfully. It's just, here's my tithes and offerings, Lord. You've entrusted this to me, and I'll give it back joyfully because I want to see the gospel go forward, and I want to see needs being met, and I want to be able to minister to the body, and I want to joyfully give to you from what you've given me, but it's worship. There's, there's churches that will eliminate that and just say, there's an offering box in the back. Go ahead and put that in whenever you want, and no pressure. There's no offering bags that go through. And we just look at it like, well, we do. We have an offering box in the back, but the giving of the offering is a part of our worship. It's worship unto the Lord. We give to him. We treasure him above stuff, and we give to him. But that isn't our focus here. We, we don't look. I, I don't know, like, okay, this, these people gave this much, these people gave that much. I, I don't know. I just look and just say, like, I don't care. I want... The Lord to give us exactly what we need for the furtherance of the gospel and for the health of our church and for ministries to take place. But more than anything, that people would come to know Christ. Their kids would grow up with just a gigantic view of God, that you would be here in, in the church and just worshiping him with all that is within you, that we would be those who study God's word, you know God's word, you get to know him better. I want to be a church in which people are being ministered to and cared for and loads are being lifted off as the gospel goes forward and as you see God for who he is. And I want to see people run away from sin because they don't want to do it. They hear warnings from God's word and they don't want to do it. They don't want to fall into it. They want to obey him. They trust him. They believe that he has... He knows all things and he knows what's right and they want to be holy as he is holy. And so they live that way. And so God help us to keep focused on that and not be like the world. And then in our own hearts. It's the reality that the temple is now gone as far as the temple that was there in Israel. 
And now the Holy Spirit resides in us. And so you evaluate your own life personally and say, okay, in my life, what are areas in which he would want to drive these things out? What are areas in which he would want to overturn these tables in my life? What, in, which way, in which way has my heart become such that he would definitely be driving things out? And may we hear God's word and say, God, take that out of my life then. Just take it out of my life. Incredible picture here as you see this. It's a miracle that's taking place. One man, Christ, Son of God, being at this place, and he is has this cord and he's driving out gigantic oxen and sheep. He's turning over tables. There's the temple guards that would have been there. Anybody could have come in and just tried to restrain him. If someone came through our church and started making chaos, um, I, I could think of a couple of you guys that would probably have the person down on the ground wishing that they had never done that, right? Please? Yes? <laughs> but you look at this, and he's just driving all the animals out, overturning the tables. See, this just... The heart of Christ in this. Disciples remembering zeal for your house has eaten me up. The Jews see all that's taking place. And they say, what sign do you show us, do you show to us, since you do these things? What right do you have to come and overturn our tables? There's money flying all over the place. There's people running down, probably trying to grab the money. Animals are being driven out. Doves are being taken out. Tables are turned. And they're there and saying, show us some kind of sign. Do some kind of miracle. Do something to make it so that we know that you have the authority to overturn our tables and to drive out the animals. Give us some kind of sign. Later, Christ said, it's a wicked and evil generation that seeks after a sign. That none would be given except for the sign of Jonah. And pointing the people to the resurrection of Christ. Likewise here. You see here where he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You want a sign? Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. They're, they're looking at it and saying, you, you're going you're gonna to raise up this temple? They're looking at it saying, it, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And according to Josephus, it took 46 years to build it up until that point, And it wasn't completed until 63 A.D., um, and then it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So there was this period where, I mean, it's just this glorious temple. And they're saying, you're going to rebuild this in, in three days? Who are you? And, and the disciples are looking at this and not understanding it later, and at that point until later, where 
once he had risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said to them. But Jesus saying, I'm not going to give you a sign except I'm going to rise again from the dead. He's telling them of something future that's going to happen. Just so you know, no, no signs going to be given to you, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. And I look, and, and there's people that are like, that. show us a sign, show us a sign. People who will say, if God would, would just come down right now and speak to me, then I'd believe. If he just did some kind of miraculous sign, then I would believe. They always want to see a sign or a wonder, and yet Jesus says to them, no. No signs can be given to you. Here's the sign is, I'm going to rise again from the dead. You're going to destroy this temple. You're going to destroy my body. And in three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. The authority of Christ at this particular time in his ministry to look ahead to say, here's the sign. You're going to crucify me. I'm going to be buried for three days. And then I'm going to rise again from the dead. That's your sign. And to think that the disciples who didn't see all these things and they go back to fishing and they go back to all that they're doing, when he rises again from the dead, they remember. I'm told that in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. The helper is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And he's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring back these things to your remembrance to where later on they look and they say, okay, remember when he cleansed the temple? He said that, that they would destroy the temple in three days, be rebuilt. And it was talking about his body. Going and looking at this saying, it makes sense now. All of it makes sense. But these guys are at a place of just show us a sign. We want a sign. And you may be in a place like that this morning. I just want to see a sign. If he shows me a sign, then I'll believe. He rose again from the dead. They crucified him. He told us that it would happen. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, just as he said it was going to happen. All the prophecies that Christ ever spoke, all that was ever given in the Old Testament, it has come to fruition. Likewise, you know that the things that he says will take place in the future will certainly take place because God said it. 100% of the time, prophecies that are spoken are fulfilled. And likewise, this one. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So there's all these people that are saying, we believe, we believe. He just showed us a sign. We believe. We want to follow him. We want water turned into wine. We want to be healed from sickness. We want someone to cause us to rise from the dead. They're seeing all of these signs take place. And it says many of them believed. But Jesus is looking at them. And it says, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. Because he knew all men. They believed but it wasn't genuine faith that wasn't, was there. It wasn't real faith. They believed because it was, look at all these signs and wonders. Look at all these things that he's doing. But he wasn't one in whom they repented unto and believed to be the son of God, to believe to be the creator of this universe, believed that he would take all their sins upon himself. It was faith in the signs that were there, but it wasn't genuine faith. This passage here is important for us because we look and we see that 
there is a kind of faith, there is a kind of belief that is not genuine. You could say like, yeah, I believe. I believe, I believe in Jesus. You might say this morning, I believe in him. What, it, what does that mean? You believe that he existed? You believe that he did lots of miracles? You believe that he died on the cross? You believe these things? But do you believe in him? It's their faith that's there. It's a genuine faith that looks and says, not only do I believe that he existed and was the creator of the universe, and that he did all these things, and he died on the cross, and he rose again from the, on the third day, but I believe in him in such a way that I love him. I desire to follow him. I believe him when he says his word. I repent of my sins and plead for his forgiveness. And I want all of my sins removed. And I want to follow him all the days of, of my life. I want to follow him. You go to certain areas of our country. And I think Orange County could be included. But maybe not to the same degree. You'll go to certain areas. And across the board, everybody will say that they're Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, of course I'm a Christian. We live in the Bible Belt. Of course we're Christians. And yet, their lives show that there's no changes that's taking place in them. There's people who are here that say, of course I'm a Christian. And yet, in this passage, we see that there were those that believed in him. They saw the signs that he did and they believed. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew what was inside of them. It wasn't the outward profession that said, we'll follow him. Look at all these things that he's doing. We'll follow him. It was what was taking place within the heart. Was it a genuine faith that was there? Were they trusting in him? Or was it just an outward faith that said the right things, that did the right things, that showed up to the right places? But there wasn't genuine faith that was there. He knew all men. He had no need that anyone should testify of man. He didn't need anybody to say, okay, well, let me explain kind of what's going on with this person. See, you have no idea of their background. You have no idea of what they've been through. There's a reason why they don't trust as easily. This is what they've been through. This is what they've gone through. There's a reason why. You don't know what their childhood was like. You don't know the circumstances they've been into. You don't know all of these things. Therefore, don't judge them. Jesus is saying, I know, you don't, I don't need anybody to testify of me of any man. For he knew what was in man. He knew everything about them. And we find that in scripture. He tells us, I know your thoughts when they're still afar off. They haven't even entered your mind yet and I know them all together. I know all things from beginning to end. I know the number of hairs that are on your head. I know when you sit down and I know when you rise up. I know all things. And so we look at this and we see the heart of God where he's just looking and saying, I'm going to overturn these tables and I'm going to drive out these people. I know the heart of man. And this is a den of thieves and they love money. They don't love me. They don't love them. They've made this a house of merchandise. But not only that, but these people who are following me and they want to see these signs and wonders and all these things, they say they believe, but I know them. I know what's in them. I know what's in their heart. I know that it's not genuine. I know that when the signs and wonders stop, they stop. I know. I know what's going on inside them. And that is why we need grace. That is why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we are so dependent. That's why we pray. <laughs> That's why we pray. We need God to change hearts here, don't we? We need him to change our hearts. 
We need him to show us these are areas that need to be overturned in your life, and these are things that need to be driven out. We need him to just take us to his word and show us here are the things. Your faith is not genuine. You say one thing, but your life is radically different than what you say and than what you know. Your life needs to be such in which you're following me. Genuine faith in which the Holy Spirit is molding you and conforming you into his image, where God has done that work. We need to have faith in him such that it's a gift from God where our eyes have been opened and where we see him and we just desire to follow him with all of our heart and with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, to love him like that. He knows what's in man. He doesn't need anybody to tell him. He knows. We look at this and it brings us to a place of prayer. Both that God would open eyes and God would change lives, but also that prayers are just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he saved me. I'm thankful that he's taken me from where I was and he's changed me. Like he makes me hate sin. He he makes me love righteousness. He makes me desire to worship him and to please him and to live for him. He makes it so even when they're praying lots of prayers on Sunday morning, I just like talking to him. I like praying. I like being here for the call to worship and excited to just hear the here is why we're going to worship him and then to sing praises to him. I love that. I love studying his word to be able to know, like, what is it that pleases him and what is it that he has taught us and who is this God that we serve and how is it that we might be saved? I love thinking about the things of God. I love looking to see what the gifts that God's given me are so I can use them to build up the body. I want to serve him in whatever way I could possibly serve him to where we live in, in, in such a way that um, it reveals just our utter dependence upon him. Will you pray with me now? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray for our church. You don't need anybody to testify to you of what we are all about. You know every member of our church. You know everything that's going on in each and every heart. You're here and there's nothing that can blind you. There's nothing that can trick you. You know all things altogether. And, and, and we ask, Lord, on this morning that you would work mightily at Reverence Bible Church. That you would soften hearts. That you would remove sin. That you would cause yourself to be magnified in such a way that we treasure you and adore you and love you over all things. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from ever being a house of merchandise or a den of thieves, but that we would worship you with reverence and awe and that we'd constantly be dependent upon you to look at us and to say, how should we change? You know our hearts. You know everything about us. We don't, Lord, change us. In our lives personally, Lord, you know all things. We can have a face that says one thing, but you know us all together. You know our struggles and you know our sin and you know what we do in secret places and you know our thoughts, Lord, before they ever come into our minds. You know all things all together. And Lord, you tell us that we're desperately wicked. 
You know, we, we need you to mold us and to conform us, to change us, to mold us into your image. And so we call upon you in prayer and ask for that this morning. Cause us to be more like you. May our prayers be genuine and our study of the word may be biblical and may our giving be joyful in worship. May the songs that we sing come forth from our hearts that, Lord, when you come here, it it is not a place in which you'd want to overturn tables, but in which you're exalted and you're glorified. We need you to do that within our hearts. So we call upon you now this morning to do that. Thank you for our time in your word this morning, Lord. Thank you for the way in which you have blessed us, that picture of you overturning tables, and yet at the same time seeing that you know all people and to look and to think of those disciples there. And they didn't understand it all, but you revealed yourself to them in such a way that they remembered and they believed and they lived their lives entirely for you, Lord. What a God we serve that overturns tables and saves his people. May you be worshiped now through through our songs. In Jesus' name, amen.